0: Sure. I've got kind of uh, two things. Uh-huh, um, there's a psychiatrist from long ago. He was a Holocaust survivor named Victor Frankel. Oh, Victor. And, I read you know, his book. You know, he went through the the uh, the camps and everything like that. And he says, if you have hope, you can survive anything. It's, um, and secondly, you know, stop comparing yourself to other people's journeys. Um, joy or comparison is the thief of joy and unlike our current supply chains which are having lots of trouble mm-hmm. there there is no limit on hope and joy it's just there for you to grab it and it may not be easy to do it at the time but the more you try the more you strengthen those muscles They're just, it's just like inoculating yourself and giving you protection so whatever you can do to feed yourself with hope and joy whether it's Books, or something religious or a group you get affiliated with. um, Do whatever you can to start pumping those two things into your body.
1: Do you need encouragement to turn tragedies into your own triumphant life story? If so, this podcast is for you. Listen to powerful guests who have persevered through challenges so you can gain strength to build your championship life. The host of Professor of Perseverance Podcast, Dr. James Perdue.
2: Hey, hey, come on in. It's time for us to get motivated inspired, get some inspiration, get some encouragement, get some hope to know that when something comes in your life that you can move forward, you still have a good life, and it'll be the perfect life that you Have a good one. Everything going from there. Hey, today our guest. I'm telling you what. If you're not alive and listening to this one, he was almost with you. Okay. I mean, I mean, he was almost with you. If you're not alive and listening, he was almost there with you. Okay. His memoir is a title that's coming out in in the future. But his memoir in the future is called "The Summer I Died Twenty Times." Oh boy, this is gonna be good. Now, if you're not living, you're dying. So let's move forward so we can all start living. Welcome to the show. Get you up here. Welcome to the show, Fred Ruttman, a.k.a. Repeatedly Dead Fred. Hi, James. Thanks for having me on. Hey, and uh, pleasure and glad that you're here and on with us. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> that was
0: quite <laughs> <So>, the intro.
2: <laughs> oh, well, I, I do what I can, just not often enough. So, uh, <laughs> So, appreciate it and... Yeah, what a story and, uh, of my father back when I was uh, 15 years old. He passed away, and they did do shock heart and put a pacemaker in and brought him back to life. And he mm-hmm. lived a couple of years and had a massive heart attack and uh, died after that. But, yeah, his was a one-time brought me back to life 20 times, bud, 20. Mm-hmm. So tell you what, Fred, I'm going to shut up and uh, I'm going to let you hop in where you thinks best and give you the platform, and I'll jump
0: in when I see fit. Okay, thank you. Uh, this all started in the summer, early summer of 2009, and I started uh, collapsing, fainting, whatever you want to call it, uh, randomly and uh, hitting my head. So whatever was the hardest object in the universe that was in proximity to my head, I, I smacked it I and I ended up with a whole bunch of concussions and you know the ramifications of all those concussions happening concurrently. And it took the doctors a long time to figure out what was happening to me. And so I went through probably a lot of what you went through when you were initially injured is a whole bunch of medical bias and miscommunication from the doctors and misdiagnoses and all that stuff. Until they finally figured out uh, that what was actually happening was my heart was stopping, and I was clinically dead. So there's a variety of uh, definitions of clinically dead. So I'm going with the basic: your heart stopped and you stopped breathing for more than thirty seconds. For some, it's you know more than sixty seconds or you know ninety seconds, whatever. Is there a time limit that they determine? like you said
2: clinically dead you said 30 seconds is it do they say well he's not breathing not uh, heart beating uh five seconds he's dead or oh, of course you know they do the CPR until they finally give in but um <clears throat> but is there is there a, a measurement in like time when they finally you know and then of course you came back multiple times
0: uh well I know that after five minutes of oxygen deprivation brain damage starts to set in. Mm-hmm. So that would be harder to tell with me because I had brain damage going in. But, um, <laughs> the, um, yeah, the, it's like a lot of things medical. There's no uh, exact definition for certain things. So cool. I, I know that I was out um, for more than five minutes a couple of times. So um, it it okay. was not good. And I was never revived. Um they don't know why this happened to me because this is a condition it's called full heart block or third degree heart block and it Mm -hmm. usually happens to men in their 70s and so that's one of the reasons they weren't looking for it with me they were just saying you know fat overweight uh middle aged white guy you must be having a heart attack and that's what they kept testing me for Mm -hmm. you would think you know after the first 15 times you tested me for that and it didn't show up you might Think of trying to test for something else. Exactly. That never really occurred to them. So, excuse me. Um, They eventually figured out that I needed a pacemaker. And uh, that surgery, we think, didn't go well. I wasn't at one of the prime hospitals in my area. And this is in no way meant to bash the medical system because it is what it is. And I'm I'm not going to change it. Mm-hmm. But it's my experience on the front end was not really really good. Yes, thankfully, um, my experience now I've got a really good team around me, and things are
2: much. Well, I mean, yeah, I understand not bashing because it's your experience, it's your uh, perception, and I mean they did the best they could at what they had, I guess. Uh, but again, mm-hmm. you you may have had not a guild then they may have a thousand people that would. Uh, come in and say hey yeah 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 you know what I'm saying so I, I wouldn't consider bashing yeah. anybody it's just your honest perception and truth so
0: yeah hmm so um, towards the end of my hospital stay before I got the pacemaker put in uh, they put on something called a Holter monitor I don't know if you've ever had to wear one it's one of these portable ECG things that monitors your heart for uh, 72 hours or whatever they set it for back then it was a you know, literally on tape, tape recorder kind of setup. Now they're like, you know, super mini iPods or whatever is the current toy, mm-hmm. and uh, they can just go forever. Um, so they put up me on one, and they said, "Okay, go home." And I'm like, "Okay, I'm collapsing right in front of you guys, and you want to send me home where I'm? I've got no assistance or oversight." They, yeah, so. Okay, I had a a crazy roommate, um, and he's pretty much monopolized our washroom, so I had to go to the washroom down the hall, Uh and when I went to the washroom, uh, I had another episode and uh, smacked my head off the concrete counter into the wall, and blah, 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 so for whatever reason, my heart started again, and again, they don't know why my heart kept restarting, and, uh, I staggered back to the nurse's station and I've got a black eye already and, you know, blood streaming down my face. My glasses are broken. And the nurse is like, what happened to you? I said, what do you think happened to me? That's right. Another episode. And she's like, oh, okay. Well, you know, just, uh, get your stuff ready. Cause you, you, you know, we need the room. <laughs> I was like, wow. sorry, no, I am not going, I'm not going anywhere. Um, Sorry, I apologize for my earbuds, but I've lost some weight, and they don't seem to sit in place anymore. There you go. Yeah. So maybe I should just switch to uh, my regular speakers. Um, So I stayed over the weekend, and uh, they didn't have anybody to read the Holter monitor because of budget cuts. So that was a Friday afternoon. Tuesday afternoon, this cardiologist comes running breathlessly into my room, and he's like, Holy shit, your heart keeps stopping this isn't good. Like, yeah. Duh. That's right. <laughs> hey, you, you're telling me. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for the insight. Yeah. You tell <laughs> me this is not good. <laughs> um, so they decided I needed a pacemaker, uh, which another doctor had told them a few days before, but they wouldn't listen to him because he was from a small town. And, uh, it was scheduled. That was Tuesday. I think it was scheduled for Thursday, but yet knowing what had happened to me? You'd think they would give me some more oversight or say, don't get out of bed or anything like that. Um, but nothing. <laughs> Just nothing. So um I had a few more wow. episodes. Wow. Um on hey, the drive Thursday morning. Today.
2: Drive your day up, going home. We'll call you when it's time to get to the pace and drive back up
0: here. <laughs> <laughs> um the the morning. The Thursday morning, uh, I had a nurse look in the door, and then I had another episode. I just stood up to stretch and cracked my head on that little dresser table thing you oh, have. Oh, yeah, they have, yeah. Yeah. And then I woke up, and or I came to, however you want to phrase it, and they were just about to hit me with the paddles. Um, but when this happens to my heart, the paddles won't help because it's not just once... I don't need one electrical charge. I need a, a continuous electrical charge, just okay. like to keep your heart beating. And uh, so I know from seeing other patients get code blue on the floor, it's not like on TV where they call code blue. And then all of a sudden, you know, the eight people that you need are right at bedside with the tools and the drugs and mm-hmm. exactly knowing what to do. So that one for sure was over three minutes because I'd seen that happen on the ward. And again, you would think after that incident, um, you know, they'd say, well, let's put you in ICU where we can get you on, you know, real good oversight. But nope, they or, left or, me there. Or the,
2: or the minimum, keep the crash cart in the room with you with everything, you know, uh, instead of waiting for it to come back since they know the yeah. history. Yeah, the minimum, at least that.
0: But nope, didn't. Wow. And about an hour later, um, I had another episode. Fortunately, I was uh, in bed for this one, so I didn't crack my head. And uh, when I revived, um, there was like fifteen to twenty people in my room and doing who knows what. And once again, they were about to hit me with the paddles, and uh, they had gone so far as to take my roommate out of the room with his entire bed. So I knew to get all these people to that point and my roommate out of the room and everything, it was well over five minutes. Mm -hmm. So, well, and then they decided maybe we.
2: I just going to say it's amazing. I was going to say it's amazing. Um, Like you said earlier, you know, I knew. But around five minutes, they start talking about, you know, brain damage is setting in and stuff like that. So it's amazing that uh, you didn't suffer major, major uh, with so many occurrences on some brain damage. Well, I think I did. <laughs> okay. Okay. Now, let me ask one question here. You, sure. you know, you mentioned earlier about all the uh, falls and hitting your head, concussions, all them concussions there. Do you think, um, course, at that, I don't know what time you're talking, but do you remember that doctor came up with the concussion protocol, the CTE, I think it was, and football. Do you think a lot of that, uh, some type of damage is up in, of course, they say they, they can't tell all that until someone's passed away and have to actually go in and dissect the brain. So
0: mm-hmm. it it's possible, but I'll talk about that a little later um, okay. when I talk about my recovery, but okay. I definitely did have a lot of cognitive impairment. Mm-hmm. Uh, my balance was shot. My depth perception was shot. I had trouble finding words. I was slurring my words. Um, I lost a lot of memory on a lot of subjects. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you, I was a professor, so I had to basically relearn everything that I, I had to know at that point. Yeah. It. Um, I'm Jewish and uh I've been reading Hebrew since I was about five, and we do prayers three times a day. My friends brought me my prayer book, and I went to do my evening prayers. I could no longer read Hebrew. Oh wow! It knocked an entire language out of my head. Wow. So, um, and then there's the PTSD and post concussion and mm-hmm. stuff like that, and it's it's a unique experience for everybody. You know, some people. I would, I would think I would think it would be very difficult because. N- did
2: you get signals, signs when this was happening? You knew it was coming. Well, obviously not because you're talking about hitting your head everywhere. Because uh, you would think yeah. if, you, if you're if you getting some certain feeling, you're going, oh, I need to go sit down real quick. So obviously you weren't getting
0: those. That's what I was going to ask. Uh, no, not really. What would happen is I'd have what I would describe as a brain quake. Mm-hmm. It was like a little earthquake going on in my head. And then all of a sudden it's fade to black. And so I don't know exactly how long that took, but it certainly didn't give me any time to prepare myself or sit down or do anything like that. So um, yeah, maybe I'll explain a little bit about what my condition is and a full heart block is when the signals that are supposed to tell your atria and your ventricle to contract and pump blood, Mm -hmm. that system dies and it stops sending the signals okay to to the various areas to tell your heart what to do so when your heart's not pumping your blood pressure goes to zero uh you have no blood going to your brain no oxygen so you collapse Mm -hmm. um and then what happens happens so fortunately for me some reason the signals started going through again and uh You know, Miracle, however you want to look at it, whatever your orientation is. Yeah, the signal, did they start
2: uh, working again after the pacemaker's put in, or was this before the pacemaker? Uh,
0: Well, they started again uh, before the pacemaker. Like, there's, it's not really common for somebody to have a full heart block and be out for so long, Mm -hmm. and then their heart to start up again. Yeah. Because they're... There's a reason those blocks are there. Uh, those signals are getting blocked. And for them to become unblocked all of a sudden, it, it's just really strange to the doctors. They, they if don't the understand. Hebrew
2: within sight of you that you couldn't read was working miracles uh, in you.
0: It's possible. It's possible.
2: So, I mean, that, uh, that would be my person- explanation that even though you wouldn't recognize and couldn't read it, it was subconsciously uh, working.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you're a person of faith, you know, whatever your faith orientation, Mm -hmm. you can sort of look at this as, you know, uh, God doesn't make mistakes, you know, whichever God you're putting your your bets on. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, if it was my time to go, it would have been my time to go. But Mm -hmm. uh, apparently it wasn't. The, The question is why?
2: There you go, because there's a uh, still a purpose for you out there because uh, not to steal your thunder right now, but I attempted suicide three times in three days. That's how bad I wanted out. And obviously, uh, I didn't die and everything and had to see a psychologist for a year and come to realize that God still has a purpose for me no matter what I think. And I think part of my purpose is right here today with you Mm -hmm. to give this platform for you and many other people I've met in the last year and a half to get their message out there. Not that I have to get mine all the time, but to get their message out there to as much people. And I think that's part of my service or serving others is part of my purpose now.
0: Yes. And I feel the same way now. Uh, Part of my purpose is getting my story out there to people. Um who may not be exactly in my situation, but you know, I'm probably walking beside you in some way or you're walking beside me in some way. Yes, and you know, you you know that there's not the horrible end you might have envisioned. There's something better. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I agree with you, yeah, so um, so they put the pacemaker in and uh, so it's sort of like a little the old pocket watch size a little supercomputer and they run a couple of wires from it actually into your heart and they they plug them in like a fishing hook so they anchor into your heart muscle and that replaces the signals that have gone missing from your heart Mm -hmm. so that keeps you alive and i'm 100 percent dependent on it so if it stops i stop um so things were going well i was i had no official roadmap for recovery they gave me nothing um i was never given an mri or a ct scan to see what was going on in my brain um and they just left me to my own devices but i knew instinctively
2: let me, I, this, let me ask this fred that uh sorry to interrupt you but while it's on my mind uh you know they you they like say they weren't giving you insights on what to do and stuff is i mean this so rare they just, just they don't have enough information
0: to know. Um, well, I think generally with head trauma, it's sort of one of the last frontiers. Um, well, I, I, mean, that. I
2: mean, with your heart, just the heart thing so rare uh, what's going on that. That's why they didn't give you insight on what you ought to be doing or what they need to be looking for in the future.
0: the The heart thing is so rare because it usually happens to men in their 70s. Uh And I was a man in my 40s.
2: Yeah, you mentioned that earlier.
0: Okay. All right. So, but pacemakers are pretty common. You know, there's dozens of different types of pacemakers to correct different symptoms. Uh, They do about 800,000 pacemaker implants a year. Oh, wow. So it's not an uncommon practice. Uh, Ideally, it should have been a 20-minute, 25-minute procedure. Um, But uh, it wasn't. So... (laughs) Something happened during that procedure that uh, manifested itself later on. We think Mm -hmm. so. uh, Instinctively, I knew you know losing weight and exercise would be helpful to me, no matter what my situation. Uh, But I realized I had to upgrade myself mentally because so many things had been knocked out of my head. So I started taking another bunch of university-level courses and courses on social media and learning. Finance and marketing, and all the things that I had been teaching before um, getting th- them back into my brain. And mm-hmm. I was just about ready to go back to work. This had taken almost four years. And right. uh, I was out for a bike ride, and boom, had another brain quake, and uh, woke up in the middle of a park, in the middle of nowhere. And uh, I thought, wow, this is weird. But You know, it can't be my heart stopping because I've got the pacemaker and they don't fail. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe I've got some heat stroke or, you know, whatever. So I went and sat under a tree and gulped a lot of water and took some uh, metabolites and stuff like that. And then I felt, okay; I can go home. Uh, But then it kept happening over and over again. So finally, I went back to emergency and they're perplexed again. They, They don't know what's going on and eventually they they figure out uh, one of the doctors put his hand on the pacemaker and just i uh, don't know if you can see it but just edged it like that mm-hmm. and i was gone oh wow so they knew there was something malfun- f- malfunctioning in the pacemaker and that's wow. when they started digging down and they realized that one of the pacemaker leads had cracked so it's like you know any wire you've got, it's got uh, you know insulation or covering mm-hmm. around it. The covering, coating, yeah. It it cracked, and uh, so it was shorting out. Yeah, and that's what was happening to me. So wow. Um, and unless you got back into the exact right position, where the the cable uh, cord was the lead. Was in the right place to transmit signals again because the pacemaker was still sending them; they just weren't going through. Mm -hmm. Um, I would come back to life. So, the plan was get in
2: that uh, right position. Yeah, to to reconnect the break in it.
0: Yeah. So apparently, when into wiring, yeah, okay. After you know they induced this episode in me, they they kept like you know pushing the pacemaker around to try and see when you know, when I'm going to come back. Mm -hmm. Um, So I had to have a a replacement surgery where the plan was to just uh, bypass that lead and put in a new one. And I got onto the table and um, when I got onto the table, I didn't realize that unlike my first surgery, they don't put you to sleep anymore. They, they numb the area and then they just start cutting away. So, I'm I'm laying there, and there's a huge scoreboard in front of you, which monitors your vitals. Mm-hmm. And I don't know who thought this is a good idea to have a patient awake, and then you use like a laser scalpel uh, right in front of you, and yeah. they're they're cutting you open, and you can actually smell your flesh burning. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, with that laser. I, I don't know who- so uh, I wasn't very comfortable with that, and then all of a sudden. I felt that brain quake, and, and I know because they told me I said this, I said, oh, fuck, I'm gone. Mm-hmm. And um, and then I was gone, and uh, it hadn't even shown on the board yet. The board hadn't even monitored the change in my signals is what I was told. Oh, wow. Yeah. So um, This is
2: a remarkable listening to this. So I used to yeah. teach science so it's one thing with mm-hmm. you know teaching the heart and circulatory system and stuff and so
0: this this is amazing mm-hmm. to me so mm-hmm. um I came to um uh, according to the surgical report about 8 to 12 seconds later um but those reports are pretty sparse <laughs> mm-hmm. um I think because of something we talked about earlier is maybe doctors don't want to be sued
2: <laughs> um, uh, th- yeah that's that's what i think they they give you the worst and the way if you look good if you do better then they look like okay so i was wrong but again if you they tell you something don't tell you enough information then you do get worse or whatever then they to see you from malpractice what i think so i, I think mm-hmm. they always tell you the worst and for you to shoot for
0: better so mm-hmm. so um when i revived um it was total bedlam in in the surgical suite and there are people running all over and I was being shocked they have these pacing pads I don't remember them putting me on these on Mm. me but they fire like every two-thirds of a second to to mimic a heartbeat but oh my god these things hurt I thought like I was being kicked in the ribs I thought I was getting a beat down oh wow Um, so so finally I said okay I'm back like I'm here like Whoever's giving me the CPR or pounding on me, please stop. Yeah. And one of, one of the doctors says, Shut the fuck up. We're trying to save your life. And another doctor says, <laughs> No, keep talking. We want to know you're okay. That's right. That's right. So <laughs> And so they decided they had to get me a temporary pacemaker, um, which is, you know, probably about this size. Oh yeah, they're uh, huge. Yeah. And uh run the wires up but they didn't have one in the room. So they had to send somebody searching for it. Oh, wow. So, so you know, a nurse or an orderly comes back from the supply closet and says, here it is. And then the doctor says, well, where the fuck are the leads? <laughs> uh, oh, I'm supposed to, you know, so it was a total. I was supposed buster. to get everything. Yeah, Exactly. Uh, yeah. Sorry. So Sorry. I'm going to switch to my, my, uh, computer. Yeah. Go ahead and
2: switch. To, and, uh, I don't know if you can hear any of this, but, uh, uh, let me briefly I'll interject here, but my neighbor had a bad heart and she got a uh, um, pacemaker put in, but she also got, um, one of the first fibulators that they would in, you know, put in your heart. And oh, yeah, she said, yeah. she said one time, she said one time, uh, uh, like I said, there was malfunctioning, and whenever she get up to take a step, all of a sudden her she was sh- getting shocked, and she would lean up against the wall. Finally, and she told her husband, "We got to get to the hospital, you know, because every time I move, it's shocking me." And uh and, and yeah, it's so painful. I, I can Just imagine. You she, yeah, from listening to her tell the story, and uh, one time she was at church or something. Yeah, church is what it was, and they were talking about death or dying or something there, and and they brought up and mentioned her and asked her how many times she had passed away, and she had actually had four times to pass away, but she put up the number five with her five fingers, and all of a sudden dropped dead right there in church, and they brought her oh. back again, brought her back, but yeah, she had already been four times, but she put up five fingers, boom, number five happened then, so yeah, that's incredible. All right, I'm sorry, go ahead, but yeah, while you're doing that, I thought I interject that with my neighbor, yeah, walking around getting shocked and had, had to go in and yeah, they had to reprogram her uh fibulator, yeah, that was uh put into her chest.
0: My my buddy had one and he described it as like getting kicked by a horse. Oh yeah. Oh so, yeah. So you know, for a li- tiny little battery in a in a little device it can sure pack a punch <laughs> yeah so, so um so they finally bring in all the the parts and they have to thread the pacemaker leads through a vein or an artery and they decide they were going to go through the femoral artery which is one of your longest arteries and they have to go in through the groin mm-hmm. but in the 10 or 12 or whatever, number of minutes of time that this had been going on nobody thought to sterilize my groin or or put in any sort of numbing there you go so uh here comes the scalpel and and oh my god did that hurt that was Uh, so i can imagine and uh they threaded the the leads in and uh they weren't sure how how well anchored they were in my heart so i was told i couldn't move until they went for surgery number two or i guess number three Mm -hmm. so i was on bed rest uh and not able to move for seven days until they were sure i had didn't have an infection yeah so so then the the day comes there they decide they're going to give this another shot So I said, okay, we're not using this laser scalpel. We're not using whatever those other weird smells that were all around. Like, we're changing this game. Yes. And so we went in, and they started to work on me. And I noticed I started falling asleep. And there was no reason for me to start falling asleep unless I'd been there a while. Mm -hmm. And then I wake up, and I see we're well past the one-hour mark. In this surgery that's supposed to take 20, 25 minutes. Yeah. And I see my surgeon is on the phone uh, doing a video chat with other uh, surgeons around the world trying to figure something out. And what it turns out I learned later is that they couldn't thread the new lead into my vein because it had collapsed. Oh, no. So the... The theory is, and this is, you know, you can go all area 51 with these theories and conspiracies. Yeah, yeah, there you
2: go. There you go. Um,
0: that in the first surgery, something went wrong and it collapsed the vein. This So this is going back to 2009. And that's what led to the cracking of the lead. Okay. So um, I fell asleep a whole bunch more times and I have no idea how they figured out how how to get this lead in there eventually uh, i don't know if they you know lubed it up with some sort of oil or mm-hmm. whatever yeah. they did but they got it in there and you know supposedly hey i'm saved again and i'm alive and i can go back to to normal um which of course whatever, worked really well
2: now right
0: yeah um until it happened again in 2018 wow now when did they first
2: start what year
0: Two thousand
2: nine, nine, and now we're in eighteen. Okay, ninety years later.
0: Okay, yeah. So again, they they couldn't figure out what was going on because they're not looking for a pacemaker error, error because mm-hmm. it's you know odd enough for it to happen once, right? To happen twice, like that's yeah, that's crazy. So we consulted with you know doctors around the world, and they decided. Screw the one that's in there and malfunctioning. Let's just start from zero. So the pacemaker was on the left side of my chest. They were going to put a brand new one on the right side. New leads. Everything should be good. Except uh, for this surgery, I said to the doctor, you know what I've been through? If you're going to kill me again, I don't want any part of this. So I want to go back to sleep for this one. Mm-hmm. And uh, I knew what time I went into surgery. So I'll say one o'clock. I don't remember the exact time. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And when I came out of the anesthesia, it was like 530. So oh, I wow. knew something didn't go right. Mm-hmm. And uh, it turns out the... And again, this is supposed on... to
2: be roughly a 20-minute surgery,
0: roughly? Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
2: And then here it is four and a half hours, whatnot.
0: Yeah. So they had used a lot more anesthesia on me than they were happy to do or mm-hmm. they wanted to do. And uh, it turned out they could only get one of the leads from the new pacemaker into my heart. For some reason they couldn't get the second one in, whether there were already too many leads or whatever the problem was, was never really explained to me. So they had to figure out uh, some sort of system to, to keep my heart beating. And what they decided on is that the new pacemaker was going to be a backup and it has sensors on it. And it would sense when my heart wasn't beating. Mm-hmm. And it would start sending signals until the original one kicked in. Oh wow. So it's a brilliant fix. Uh-huh. And and I was told at the time, and I don't know if this is, you know. Uh, urban myth, hospital mythology. I was one of eight people in the world that had a pacemaker setup where I've got two pacemakers running simultaneously. I was going to say you're you're
2: you're uh, you're the uh, medical guinea pig at this point.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Um, so it worked. It wasn't an exact science because mm-hmm. sometimes you know the sensor didn't pick up that my heart had stopped, and you definitely find times when you're. Yeah and then you know uh things start pacing again um and over time they kept refining it and adjusting the sensors and everything so it's been pretty good we're here in 2022 and uh I haven't had any episodes for about uh 4 to 6 months so okay so that's Obviously that's you good
2: still, other than 4 to 6 months you still have little episodes I say, yeah, because I say little Little to me is not little to you.
0: Yeah. Well, relatively they're, they're little for me. (laughs) Okay. okay. Um, and, uh, so that's good that they finally got the system working, right? The, the problem coming up in probably about nine months is that the battery in the original pacemaker Uh, is running out of juice mm -hmm. and it's going to need to be replaced. So, um, so I know I have another surgery coming up. uh, I guess in the in the near future, um, and we're not exactly sure.
2: Energizer bunny rabbit in your heart, in your chest. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So, you know, there's a couple of options. They can try the traditional thing: just pull it out and try and reconnect it and see what happens, and just leave it. You know, with the two pacemakers Mm -hmm. running, or they can try something called a lead extraction, where They try and pull the leads out of your heart and put in all new hardware. But they know because that vein has collapsed, they won't Mm -hmm. be able to get the laser in there. Yeah. So this would likely have to be an open heart surgery where, you know, they cut you open and they actually open your your heart up. Yeah, and and go in and disconnect things somehow. So.
2: Um, I, I, it, I just don't understand leads and leaving the leads in. I understand maybe to do more damage, trying to pull them out where it's connected in the heart. I understand yeah. that, but um, it is a little, uh, a lot different, but kind of the same. Uh, they they were doing experimental stuff where they were putting these lead wires in to to quadriplegics or paraplegics legs. And you'd have mm-hmm. 15, 20 of these leads going into a box. that's on your belt and it would help mm-hmm. you try to stand and walk. But then when the lead yeah. would break, they wouldn't take the old wire out. they just insert a new one. But then this one guy got infection so bad from all yeah. the leads left. So that's why uh, when you say they left those in, I'm thinking, what if the things get corroded inside there and, you know, whatever else is going to happen? So I, yeah.
0: I'm not sure exactly what they're made out of. Yes. But I know people have had leads in there for 20, 30 years with no problem. Okay. Um, so I, you know, I, just
2: say, I'm just thinking of the old leads that's not being active, that mm-hmm. they leaving in there. I mean, I understand they got to be in there to work. I do understand that. But like you said, you had that one that was bad and they just bypassed it, left it in there and bypassed it. And you would yeah. think that that lead where it was cracked, the insulation cracked, somehow would get corroded or something you would think and yeah so I, yeah now i understand you yeah, perfectly the ones that are working you've got to have them in there to make them work how you don't understand leaving the one that's not working in there
0: yeah well it's a major surgery to get it out apparently so <laughs>
2: apparently so like i was saying the thing earlier it may cause more damage trying
0: to get them out mm-hmm. than leaving them in yeah um I mean, if you think about, you know, when people get a hip replaced or a knee replaced, they, I guess they use titanium and ceramics, mm-hmm. um, and and those stay in there for, you know, decades as well. Yeah. So, so far, you know, <laughs> there's no corrosion or anything causing me problems. So hey, man, hopefully it stay that way. So, um, you know, at this point after this surgery, I went to my therapist. And and I'd been sort of working on this book, um, mm-hmm. more as a you know a therapy thing. Like, what do you remember, and all, all these things, and jotting down notes and hoping it would be cathartic. Yeah. And uh, I said to her, th- "What do you remember from when this first happened?" And she said, "I remember being freaked out like you wouldn't believe." And I mean, she's an MD; she's mm-hmm. seen a lot. Yeah, and. Then her second thought, because she's a psychiatrist, was, I can't believe you're any degree of functional at all. After, you know, the amount of times you've had concussions and. Bouncing
2: your head off the floor like a basketball. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So. um, So that tells you, you know, when she thinks I'm that battered, I was pretty battered. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I'm going to take a step back, if you don't mind. I'm not sure how we are on time um we got a few more minutes how i actually went about recovering yes so in the february of 2018 the same year as this last surgery i was seeing my cardiologist for a regular checkup and he comes into the exam room and he throws a book at me and he says buy this read this do this but only after we get buy-in from all your other doctors so I say, okay, what's this book? The book is called The Obesity Code by Dr. Jason Fung. Mm-hmm. And he's a nephrologist, a kidney specialist in Toronto, who was sick of seeing his patients um, lose their kidneys and limbs, etc., from type 2 diabetes. And he knew a little bit about intermittent fasting. Mm-hmm. And he realized that it was... It was an excellent tool for helping people reverse their type 2 diabetes. Okay. And, you know, of course, lose weight and all that other good stuff. So he's helped hundreds of people reverse their type 2 diabetes, which we're always told is just a chronic condition. Mm -hmm. And I also had type 2 diabetes. I didn't know it, but the first time I went in the hospital in 2009, they said, you've got type 2 diabetes. You've essentially got Your blood is so thick, it's essentially like caramel. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we got to get this down. So they put me on insulin. And the traditional treatment is carbs are bad for you because your sugars are already high. So we're going to give you insulin and tell you to eat them with even more carbs. Like, it's just (laughs) mind-boggling how anybody thinks this is a, a good situation. Like. How about you give me no carbs and a lot less insulin and and see what happens?
2: Yeah, that so, sounds the right way, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, but, you know, it's hard to get these doctors to move off their cognitive bias or even the dietitians. Mm-hmm. So he sent a letter to all my other doctors to get buy-in because if I'm going to try intermittent fasting, it can affect your, med- your medication doses and
1: mm-hmm. all sorts
0: of other things. So, yeah. Um, So we went along with it. And uh, then probably by, I started in May of 2018. By December of 2018, I had reversed my type 2 diabetes, and I was off insulin.
2: Oh, right. Awesome.
0: Yeah. So, you know, what they're telling you about these chronic conditions that can't be managed is, is a bit of a, misdiagnosis and Mm -hmm. miseducation on the medical professions part. So um, I ended up being a moderator in a fasting group that ended up being about 335,000 people. So I've, you know, I've helped coach thousands of people and Mm -hmm. this isn't just something I see that happened to me. I'm seeing it in real life happening to thousands of firsthand firsthand. And some people say, well, this is only anecdotal evidence. It's only anecdotal if you have like two or three examples, but -hmm. when you have literally thousands of people around the world having the same experience from doing intermittent fasting, I don't Mm -hmm. think that's anecdotal anymore. No. So uh, I think at this point I have to do a medical disclaimer to anybody. If they're thinking of trying intermittent fasting, uh, don't do it without working things out with your doctors first.
2: I gonna say don't uh, pay attention to anything you have to say. I have to say check with mm-hmm. your medical team and doctors and y'all come up with a plan that's best suited for you. Uh, my doctor is not in medical, so mm-hmm. I can't, uh, I can't write out a prescription, but I can drive you to your pharmacist and pick some up for you if you need me to, but mm-hmm. that's as far as I can go. So yeah everybody's listening, be sure to check with your medical team and y'all come to do it together with the best plan possible, but it's nothing wrong with suggestion. This intermittent that, that you're talking about and see what your mm-hmm. medical team thinks of, let them do the research. They're the doctors.
0: Yeah. The, the best book I found, if you don't mind me plugging a book so go mine, ahead. is, uh, I don't know if you can see this. It's called sure. fast, least repeat. Mm-hmm. Maybe get rid of the.
2: There we go. Uh,
0: By Jen Stevens, who, like you, is a doctor, but not a medical doctor. Uh, I'm guessing your doctorate's in education? Yes, sir. Which is hers as well. So, um, fast, feast, repeat. Yeah. New York Times bestseller. It's pretty easy to find. Um, And that will give you a really solid basis for how intermittent fasting works. Okay. And right. um, everybody's journey in intermittent fasting is going to be different because even though our bodies are all the same, we have different bioavailabilities availabilities and different gut biomes. And uh, oh yeah, there's
2: there's know. multiple ways. Yeah, it's yeah we're all different, and so results are going to vary uh, with everybody. Mm-hmm. So don't don't expect it's not a one one size fit all thing.
0: Mm-hmm. So. But the community that, that Jen created um, with the 335,000 people, that's what it was based on was that everybody was different and we were going to give you guidance to try and help you with your individual uh, mm-hmm. journey. So yeah. not just standard, you know, one size fits all. Yeah, yeah, thing. yeah. And that's
2: that's what it should be on everything is try to find what's best for you not because the average this would happen and now you get thrown in you know we, we talked earlier to, before we got on together you know this is what all spinal cord injuries so james don't expect to do this this or this mm-hmm. and instead of individually see how much i improved and then we go from there yeah
0: mm-hmm. so so one of the most fascinating things we've learned over the last few years about intermittent fasting is that initially people used it for weight loss, but what it really does is it triggers a whole bunch of epigenetic systems in your body to start healing things that we didn't even know that it could do. So if you look up a TED Talk by Dr. Mark Matson, or it might be a TEDx, um, He's a lead researcher at Johns Hopkins, and he talks about the neurological benefits um, and nerve regeneration and healing and things of that nature that occur because of intermittent fasting. Mm-hmm. So when I say that I attribute the large majority of my recovery to it and getting my cognitive faculties back, I do believe that's from the intermittent fasting and um the neurological benefits that it's helped activate.
2: Okay, I, I I can see into the intermittent again. If like I said, uh, people have used it. I've used it to lose weight, but mm-hmm. the other benefits that were not studied, you know, at that time that they know more about nowadays, I uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I can see the benefit of it uh, of doing that. So,
0: yeah, I I've seen people with thyroid conditions reverse it personally I mean I reverse my type 2 diabetes mm-hmm. um, my sleep apnea has gone away my asthma's gone away a whole bunch of other things have have gone away I had uh, diabetic retinopathy in my eye they were very close to doing surgery mm-hmm. and it disappeared okay. um, women report their c-section scars disappearing and we know why it's called a process called autophagy um, and uh, all sorts of other medical conditions, uh, especially the autoimmune conditions, mm-hmm. uh, start to reverse themselves. The rheumatoid arthritis, the lupus, um, and all sorts of other things. So it's actually, a, as uh, Jim Stevens says, it's a uh, health plan with a side benefit of weight loss.
2: There you go. And other, other, benefit, that's right, other benefits, other than mm-hmm. the weight loss. So, yeah. All right. Uh, wow. Fred? Repeatedly dead, Fred, aka. We yes. appreciate you being here sharing your story. I mean, this has been remarkable. Again, I'm just fascinated uh, with all this and going on. Again, I used to teach science and the heart and circulatory system, so I can uh, understand through here. And anybody else, again, remember, uh, consult your medical team. Uh, it's nothing wrong with reading the book, though. Uh, Fast, Feast, and Repeat. Uh, Bye. Mm-hmm. Jen Stevens. There you go. And, you know, nothing wrong with getting educated. And then, again, talk to your physician and medical team and see if it maybe possibly do something to help you. Uh, but consult your medical team. Don't listen to the doctor here because, again, mine's not in medical. So,
0: mm-hmm.
2: all right. Repeatedly dead for it. Hey, uh, tell people your uh, website and social media, how they may want to get out hold of you, maybe get some more insight and coaching or uh-huh. something.
0: The easiest thing is just look me up on Instagram. I've just got a basically new account, uh, but it's repeatedly dead Fred on Instagram. So you can find me there and you can just message me on there or repeatedly dot at gmail.com.
2: Okay. And I'll put those in the show notes as well. And also I'll put your link of your uh, video uh, as an introduction for people to go listen and watch on your Instagram, uh, that's where I uh, saw that a while ago, part of it, I told you. And so I'll put that link in there as well. So Thank you. Hey, uh, Fred, we know there's people hurting and struggling today. And if you can leave us with a positive message to help them get through today, man, that'd be a blessing.
0: Sure. I've got kind of uh, two things. Uh-huh. Um, ahead. There's a psychiatrist from long ago. He was a Holocaust survivor named Victor Frankl. The old Victor and, I read you know, in his book. You know, he went through the the uh, the camps and everything like that. And he says, if you have hope, you can survive anything. That's and secondly, you know, stop comparing yourself to other people's journeys. Um, Joy or comparison is the thief of joy. And unlike our current supply chains, which are having lots of trouble, Mm -hmm. there there is no limit on hope and joy. It's just there for you to grab it. And it may not be easy to do it at the time, but the more you try, the more you strengthen those muscles. It's just like inoculating yourself and giving you protection. So whatever you can do to feed yourself with hope and joy, whether it's books or something religious or a group you get affiliated with, um, do whatever you can to start pumping those two things into your body.
2: All right. Thank you, Fred. And just to uh, back up a little bit here on the hope, uh, a friend of mine, Bird Baggett, had him on a few weeks ago, and he uh, is coming up with his mission at 72, and he's wanting to provide hope to as many people as he can. He started a mission called Million Hearts Mission, and he gets provide hope to people. And uh, one thing he was quoted and saying, you know, uh, you can go 40 days without food, four days without water and then he said four seconds without hope and mm-hmm. you know and so that that's what he used as part of his uh when you talk about hope as long as we can grasp that hope we're in good shape
0: absolutely it's brilliant
2: all right fred thank you, you repeatedly dead fred thank you for coming in i'm glad that uh i hope you don't have any more repeatedly dead fred uh but i'm Me glad too. you're here i'm glad that you uh, have gotten well enough that you're out here promoting and pushing and giving hope to other people and definitely showing a lot of perseverance so again friend thank you. thank you everybody else hey i'm dr james perdue the professor of perseverance and uh yeah thank you for listening to the professor of perseverance podcast do something today tomorrow something next week that's going to help you persevere past your paralysis
1: Thanks for listening to the Professor of Perseverance podcast. For motivation, inspiration, and encouragement. For more information, go to Facebook at Professor of Perseverance. Visit the website at ProfessorofPerseverance.com and view the YouTube channel, Dr. James Perdue, Professor of Perseverance.